All right, here we go again, taking another run at it. We started recording just a little while ago, and we ran into some technical issues because of some of the storms in the area, but we're trying again. And the topic that we are discussing this evening is one that is definitely appropriate for the times in which we live and for the turn that our culture and society has taken. And it's how do we interact with and how do we respond to and deal with people that we disagree with? And it's something that's, it's a needed conversation. It's something that we definitely need to do better at just in general as a society. I know for me, this is something I've always struggled with. I, for years was known as the guy who, who went around just treating people like trash, pretty much believing I did it for Jesus. I always use the phrase jerk for Jesus because that's really what I was. That described me. I didn't mean to be, I wasn't trying to be in the sense of actually being a jerk. I just simply was because of the way that I viewed people. And the way that we view yeah. people greatly dictates how we handle them. If I respect you, if I love you, and I'm, I'm talking about legitimately love you, if I have a relationship with you, I'm going to treat you differently than if I believe that you're just the scum of the earth, horrible person with ulterior motives. If I believe that, I'm going to come after you a lot differently. And it creates a demeanor within ourselves when we view people in negative ways. And I, I want to just bring up several different ways that I used to view people and talk about why those are not healthy. And not only healthy, but they're unbiblical, they're unchristlike. And I know that you and I have talked about this a little before, so you feel the same way as far as how you used to view people, that you and I both viewed people in similar ways who disagreed with us, or if they disagreed with us, we would view them in very negative ways. And so one of those ways is that I would view people who disagreed with me specifically on biblical matters as people who just did not love God as much as I did. Yeah. Yeah. And brother, I would do the same thing. It's like, oh, well, you know, you use multiple cups in the communion. You just don't love God as much as I do. You just don't care anything about truth, Kevin. You just don't. Not at all. I, I can't believe that you have such a low view of, of God and of the scriptures that you would that you would deviate from from the pattern and that you would digress in such a way. You just don't love God. And when you do that, it dehumanizes people. Whenever we look at people in that light, it's almost like we're giving ourselves a pass to rip into them. And in, in discussing that and you saying that if you love people and you have a relationship with them, you're going to treat them differently. That really makes me feel good about you and I years ago, whenever we were both still entrenched in legalism and we both still held on to those attitudes and those paradigms because, and, I, and I've mentioned this before, I never picked up on any of that from you at all. I always felt like you treated me with respect. You always treated me with kindness, even in those days when you were a jerk for Jesus. So that makes me kind of feel good. It makes me feel like, yeah, we really did have a good relationship. So well, thank here's you. What's funny. I, I don't, I've never told you this before, but I really struggled with that because I, as I examined my, my past life, especially when I started changing, I saw that I was very, bias and prejudice when it came to how I would view people. And even though you and I disagreed, I, I liked you and, and we had a good relationship and I appreciated you. And so it was a lot harder for me to treat you with disrespect than somebody who I didn't like. And that oftentimes <laughs> plays, plays yeah, a big part in true. it. Is if, if there's two people who disagree with me and I like one of them and I don't like the other, 
The one I don't like, I'm probably going to go after them a lot more and hide behind that issue that we disagree on. When in reality, there's more at there's more there that than meets the eye. And yeah. I think about not just you, but other people that I thought to myself, I really need to be telling this person that they're going to hell and that they need to change because they don't believe the truth like I do. But, you know, I just really like this person and they seem to be really sincere and they really do seem to be following God the best they can. So I'll excuse that. So, you know, I would excuse it for certain people, but then others, I would just lay the gauntlet down and wouldn't have any tolerance. And it's that favoritism that can sometimes sneak into our conversations too when we're talking to people we disagree with. If we like someone, we may be able to tolerate them versus if we don't like someone, it's easy to just go ahead and draw a line because, hey, I didn't like that person anyway, and now I found a good reason why to finally go after that person. Yeah, and brother, I mean, you're you're singing my song there because I was the same way. If there was someone I didn't like, I would just wait to find something and I would hide behind that as camouflage, some point that we disagreed on, some doctrine, whatever the case might be. And I'd be like, all right, here we go. The claws can come out and I can pounce with renewed vigor. And, you know, whenever you use this idea of someone, they disagree with me on X, Y, or Z topic. So they just don't love God as much as I do. So that gives me a pass to treat them poorly. It reminds me of a tract that I'd come across. And the title of the tract was, do you love God? And it, it's a, it's an eye catching track to anyone that has a religious inclination is going to, you know, it's going to catch their attention. It's going to grab you and you're going to pick it up and you're going to thumb through it. And in that it, you really had basically a passive aggressive attack on anyone that viewed worship or the Christian life differently than the author did. And it was really interesting because it was basically like, well, unless you aver this, this, and this interpretation, then you just don't really love God. I mean, that's yep. essentially what the track was getting at. And that's how I used to behave. That's how you used to behave. And in doing that, we've dehumanized our fellow man and we have held them in such low regard that we really, whenever you treat someone like that, you have no real way to wield any influence with them. Well, I mean, it shifts. You tell, it shifts. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say what it does is, is it makes me, you know, you start telling me that I'm, I'm not going to say, oh yeah, well, I'm going to show you how much I love God. I'm going to say, well, forget you, dude. You don't know what you're talking about. I don't want anything to do with you. And, and then you have no influence on me. There's no way you're going to be able to win me over to your way of thinking at that point. Well, it shifts reality. That's what it does. It, yeah. it, it yeah. shifts reality because instead of saying that person worships God differently than I do, we say that person doesn't love God because of what they do. And and so now it's not, well, we disagree. It's no, you don't love God. And it's this yeah. oversimplification, making someone out to be the villain, as you called it, dehumanizing an individual. It's easy to do that because after all, they don't love God anyway. And the problem yeah. I saw with this are a couple things. Number one is we should treat others with the same respect and assumptions that we want to be treated with. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, a passage probably everybody knows who's listening to this. Jesus says what? Treat others the way you want to be treated. If I'm in a conversation with someone, I don't want them assuming that I don't love God. <laughs> if, I, if I'm talking to someone about the Bible and we have a disagreement, I would hope that that person doesn't view me through the lens as of, oh, Kevin just doesn't love God, because that's not yeah. going to be a fruitful discussion. That presupp presupposition of my intention 
is already going to hinder that individual from hearing what I have to say. And the same is true when I'm talking to somebody else. If I view someone as someone who just doesn't care about God, doesn't care about truth, doesn't really love God, then guess what? I'm not going to be able to listen to what they have to say because why would I listen to anybody who doesn't love God? Why would I care what anybody has to say if they don't love God? And since you disagree with me, you don't love God. That's the logic that I used for many years, and that's the logic a lot of people use when they're talking about different Bible subjects in which they disagree on. So it's very important that we take away this idea of viewing people who disagree with us as people who just don't love God. That's not the, that's not the case. In some cases, it may be they love God more than we do, and that's why they're doing what they're doing. It could be that we're wrong. It could be that we're the ones who don't have the right interpretation or the right conclusion on whatever matter we're discussing. Now, Lee Grant from 10 years ago would have said, well, Brother Kevin, that's inconceivable. There's no way that I've got the wrong interpretation on this because remember what Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So you're not keeping his commandments. You're not doing the things that Jesus wants you to do in the way you worship or anything else. So you obviously don't love God. And that's how the argument would go. But what's so interesting to me is, is whenever you look at that within context, the commandments that Jesus is talking about, because a lot of times what we do, especially in the tradition that, that you and I have been a part of, is we tend to extrapolate those commandments as being all of the doctrinal points that we aver and that we hold to. And whenever you look at the context of what Jesus says, when he says, keep my commandments, the commandments that he gives, especially in John's gospel, and whenever John speaks of keeping the commandments in his epistles, his commandments are to love God and love your neighbor. And you demonstrate your love for God by showing love to the image, to your fellow image bearers, your fellow man that bears God's image. And it, we tend to take it out of context whenever we make it about all of the other things that we get so wrapped up about and that we tend to argue about ad nauseum over and over and over again. And I don't think those things are unimportant. I think those things can be very important and they are things that we should be able to have discussions about. But whenever we begin to castigate people because they don't see things the same way we do and we begin to accuse them or call their love of God into question, we have stepped beyond what is written. We have we have really become judges of our fellow man. And that's one of the things that the Apostle Paul talked about in Romans 14. He says, was it in verse three or verse four? Who am I to judge another man's servant? You know, and whenever we begin to act and behave as God's personal referees or the police force for the church. It's like we, and this is an analogy I've used before you come out of up out of that watery grave of baptism and you're given a striped shirt and a whistle so that you can blow it whenever you see your fellow <laughs> brother or sister messing up, you know, well, y'all, you just, you don't love God. If you really love God, you're going to quit doing X, Y, or Z. And we, we lose the narrative. We forget that we are equally fallible, just like anyone else is. And we have ended up not only harming our influence, but we're behaving in a manner that's not Christ-like in the least. This tries to polarize people, too, because it's easier if we can put people in boxes. It's easier if we can say, they're the bad guys, we're the good guys. And we do this all the time. And that's why I oh, like yeah. that a lot of movies these days throw reality in our face where there's not always just a flat-out good guy or there's not always a flat-out bad guy. Sometimes there are people in between. Sometimes there are people... Uh, who are bad, but they have good reasons. And sometimes there's people who are good, but they have bad motivations. And so it's it, we're able 
to understand that there, this is a lot deeper than the way that we want to make it. We just want to say they're good, we're bad. And we see this in the political party all the time is that if you vote one, one way, you're all bad. And if you hold, if you, if you vote for this person, you don't really love God. And we attach that stigma because who wants, who, who wants to be accused of not loving God? Everybody wants to say that they love God if they're a Christian. So nobody wants that stigma of someone who, you know, they're the person who does not love God. So it's when we attack people and go, they're the person who doesn't love God. Well, how do you know that? Because they're not following God's commandments. Well, what do you mean they're not following God's commandments? Well, they're not doing what the Bible says. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't know that. I remember when I first started changing, people were making these accusations against me. Kevin no longer loves God. That is actually what someone put on a Facebook post about six years ago. Kevin no longer loves God. And <laughs> they gave a handful of reasons. Kevin no longer loves God because, number one, dot, dot, dot. Number two, dot, dot, dot. Number three, dot, dot, dot. And it all had to do with my belief system. Because of my belief system changing, to them, that meant that I no longer loved God. What they didn't realize is, to me, Kevin loves God, so he's willing to change number one, dot, 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 number two, dot, 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 number three, dot, dot, dot. And I actually contacted this person and I said, it would have actually been easier for me to remain in the position I was. So if you're going to want to talk about sacrifice, I sacrifice more. If I didn't love God, why would I sacrifice more for, for, for someone I don't even love? That doesn't make sense. I would have continued to ride the gravy train I was on as the director of the Gospel of Christ, getting paid more money than I've ever been paid in my life, getting paid sometimes up to $1,500 to speak for 30 minutes. And yet I'm being told now that I no longer love God because I've changed. I told somebody, I said, look, if I was a faker, I would have kept that position as long as possible and, have, and have, would have taught whatever people wanted me to teach. But because yeah. of my convictions and because of my love for God, I changed my convictions because I believe that those convictions were no longer in line with the way God would have me to live. And so it's so easy it's so easy to just say that person no longer loves God. Why? Because they're not keeping the commandments, AKA what I believe to be the commandments. And then we're able to just continue to have these oversimplified accusations. And instead of people listening, people just take those and go, Oh, okay, I guess it's true. So someone actually believed that I didn't love God. And I had somebody reach out to me and they said, well, I heard you didn't love God anymore. I said, what are you talking about? You know, said, well, I, saw what I, I said, well, well, no, I love God. And they go, oh, okay. Well, I'm, thanks for straightening that out for me. And it's just this simplicity of, of we're not even, man, we're not critical thinkers anymore. We're really not. We're, we're not critical thinkers. We yeah. love our brains. Lo and by nature, we're not. Nobody's really a critical thinker. We have to work on it because our brains love to take shortcuts. And so we would rather just somebody tell who's the good guys and who's the bad guys. I was watching a movie with Bethany and I forgot what it was, but this has been a while back. And Bethany is a whole lot more intelligent than I am. <laughs> and I'm the type of the person who's like, what's going on? What's happening? You know, what's going on? I don't, I don't understand. Wait a minute. I thought she was good. I thought she was bad. And I, I just want the script to tell me up front. The, that's why I like Marvel movies. I know who the good guys are. I know who the bad guys are. It's easy to understand that. These movies that blur things, it's harder to follow because it's oh, reality. <laughs> well, let me tell you, and, and people don't like that. One of I'm a gamer, and I have played video games for, I mean, since I was eight years old. So I've played video games for, I mean, forever. I, I hardly remember a time when I didn't have a controller in my hand. And You're one a of the dork man, such a dork. let me tell you, one of the biggest dorks you'll ever meet. <laughs> but one of the best video games ever made is a game called The Last of Us. 
and it's set in a po- it's a post-apocalyptic game and you know there's these zombies but it's a fungal infection instead of a virus or whatever else and it's set in the future anyway what made this game stand out is it's incredibly cinematic it is a story and the way this story is told it's one of the best storytelling experiences i've ever experienced a lot of times kim and i will sit down and we we have shows we like to watch together or whatever like you and bethany do and this is one of the only is the only game that I've ever sat down and played that whenever Kim would come into the room or whatever else and she'd say, and I'd say, hey, you want to watch this? She'd say, no, I want to watch you play this game. I want to see what happens in the story next. Well, the original game came out like 13 years ago and they came out with a sequel this year. It's been in development for a long time. And this it's critically acclaimed. The critics loved it, but most of the people hated it. And a lot of people hated the direction the story went. It's an incredible game. It's a masterpiece as far as the storytelling goes. But the reason why people didn't like it gets to exactly what you're talking about. I'm a little over halfway through it now. And the antagonist in the game, the villain, you spend a lot of time playing as the villain. And one of the things you realize is the hero of the game and the villain of the game are, in, are a lot alike. They have the same motivations. They have similar backgrounds, similar upbringings, and people don't like that. People like, like you said, brains, people, we like to take shortcuts with our minds. We like to know who the bad guy is, who the good guys are. We like to put them in this simple little box and life is more complex than that. (laughs) And this game, it hits you in the face with it, with the way the story is told and they really have made the villain of the game really sympathetic and you really wonder are you, is this person really the villain? Because as the hero, you're doing all the same things that the villain does that you're going after the villain for. It's, it, it's really complex. It's really good. But, you know, one of the things you talked about is, you know, how people would say, oh, well, Kevin, he doesn't love God anymore because of this or that or whatever else. And you talked about how hard it was going through that change and that transition in many ways. And, you know, I haven't gone through, as much as what you have with that, because it wasn't a paid vocation for me. It wasn't my livelihood. It wasn't something that I was really super invested in to the same degree that you were. But over the past few months, as we've had this podcast going, there has been some grief that's come up and there have been some conversations that have been had. And, you know, my love for God has been called into question and no one wants to experience that. And it's, it, it really is a hard place to be in especially whenever you simplify love for God in following a certain set of rules or a certain paradigm. And then whenever you begin to question that paradigm, you're not questioning Jesus, you're not questioning God, but whenever you begin to question some of the foundational principles that that paradigm is built upon, and you begin to see some of the flaws in that line of thinking, you begin to think, well, maybe there is more to it than this. Maybe there is more to it than, than how I'm doing X, Y, or Z. Maybe it's simpler than that, or maybe it's more complex in some other ways. And that makes people uncomfortable whenever you begin to voice that. People don't like it. And then they castigate you. They call you out. You end up having you know, a six and a half hour conversation with someone because they're worried about, you know, you cavorting with a false teacher and giving a false teacher. And I'm, I'm talking about you, you heathen. Yeah, well, <laughs> you everybody know knows that. Oh, everyone knows that. But it just, it, it gets insane because even when you can disagree agreeably, 
if you're continually trying to browbeat someone into thinking, oh, no, you've got this wrong. Oh, no, you've got this wrong. Oh, no, you've got this wrong. Like there was a conversation I had with a fella whenever we were talking about some of the changes I've gone through. And he was just, you know, I, I was trying to explain to him, you know, what some of the reasons were. And I got into origins and how my perspective on origins has changed. We need, still need to do an episode on that, by the way. But how my perspective has had shifted on origins. And he, one of the things he said was, Oh, you know, I'd love to sit down and study with you about that. He said, you know, it's, that's, that's irreconcilable. You can't reconcile those two things. I said, well, yeah, you can. Oh no, you can't. Yeah, you can. Oh no, you can't. I'd love to sit down and study with you on that. And I said, no, I really don't think you would because his purpose in sitting down and studying with me on that wasn't to get a better understanding and maybe come. It's like, you know what? I hear what you're saying. I still don't agree with it, but I appreciate it. Cause I understand it more. It was to change my mind and to, Oh, let's, let's fix Lee's thinking. His thinking is so far off. Even in that sense, you're not agreeing or you're not disagreeing agreeably. Most, most conversations today do not take place because people want to discuss they take place, as you just pointed out, because people want to fix the other individual. They want to fix their thinking. And that's the other side of the coin is from from the one perspective you have, well, they just don't love God or they don't love God as much as I do, because if they did, they would be doing what I do and believing the way I believe. That's one accusation. But I want to s- switch gears here to the other. And that is if we don't believe that they dislike God and we do believe they love God, but they disagree with us, we may say, as I believed in times past, well, if someone disagrees with me and they love God, then they are just ignorant and they don't know how to properly study their Bible. So I'm going to teach them. And once I teach them, then they're going to believe the way I believe. But if they don't believe at that point after I teach them, then they don't love God because now they know the truth and they've rejected it. So it's this idea as you go throughout life, there are two types of people in the world. Well, there's three types. Those like you who agree with you. So they're right. They're the ones who love God. The second group of people are those who don't love God and who are out to destroy truth. And then the third group are those who are just ignorant and they haven't been taught. But once they're taught, then they'll either fall into the group who loves God like me and believes everything like me, or they'll end up following into the group of those who don't love God, because if they did, they would act and believe just like I did. So it's this idea that people are ignorant and we need to go out and teach them. And then once they're taught, they're going to see eye to eye. But what happens when we do have a Bible conversation with someone and they listen to our points and they come away saying, well, Kevin, I understand what you said. It makes, makes a lot of sense in many ways, but I still just disagree with it. Well, now I'm going to say, you know what? You're not ignorant anymore. Now you just don't love God because I've taught you the truth. You you now know better and you need to believe the way I believe. And so that's just as dangerous because it leads to the ultimate same place. Even though it's a different understanding of people, after you do, quote unquote, teach someone the truth, quote unquote, and if they don't change to your understanding of what the truth is, then they still fall into that bucket of not loving God. And I really saw how this is something that affected me mentally because I really believe this. This isn't just a something that I went around saying. I really believed if people did not see things eye to eye with me that they were either ignorant or didn't love God. And since only a handful of people agreed with me, there was a lot of people who hated God or who were ignorant. 
Well, and there are other people and I've heard that paradigm, but there's another paradigm where a lot of people, because this is what I used to think. I, I didn't necessarily think that they just hated God if they disagreed with me, but I would say, oh, well then they're deceived. If they don't believe exactly like I do, and they don't think exactly like I do on any doctrinal topic. Well, it's because they're deceived because the Bible says, you know, God will allow them to believe a strong delusion. So they're just deceived. And it's really convenient to set that up because you're setting your, you're basically setting up a circular reasoning or a circular logical construct. You're using circular reasoning to do that because if you see everything the way I see it, well, then you know the truth because we can know the truth, even though the context of what Jesus says in John's gospel, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. This is something about knowing that Jesus is the Messiah. It doesn't necessarily have to do with all of these other doctrinal things that we tend to lump into that basket. And by we, I just mean we in general, I don't mean you and I, yeah. but but it's this idea, well, then if you love God, you know the truth and you know the truth. The truth has made you free. Well, if you disagree with me or we study a topic or whatever else and you don't arrive at the same conclusion I do, oh, well, you're just deceived. You see that you've got that strong delusion. And I never did turn that question on its on its head and ask, well, how do I know they're the ones deceived and how do I know I'm not the one that's deceived? Because that's inconceivable. It's inconceivable yeah. that I could have the wrong idea because I know my Bible. I know what the Bible teaches. I know what the scriptures say. I'm not deceived. They're the ones that are deceived. And it's incredibly arrogant to arrive at that conclusion and say, well, you're just deceived since you don't see it the way I do. I wouldn't think that people were, you know, well, maybe they're ignorant, but I oftentimes I wouldn't attribute ill will or a lack of a love for God to them. Sometimes I would, but most of the time it was that, that paradigm, that circular paradigm of deception and loving truth, etc. And even that doesn't work because even in that sense, we're predicating our faith upon myself, I'm predicating my faith on myself and my understanding being as infallible as scripture itself. And that's, that's impossible. Yeah. We equate truth with our understanding of truth when we oh. do that. And if you, if you think about what you just said, and let's, let's think about the classifications here. Cause I was mulling this over in my mind when you said this, I thought, you know, I've never thought of it this way, but you, you have the people who are deceived. You have the people who are ignorant. And then you have the people who don't love God. And there may be other categories we could break down, but I think that pretty much would summarize what, what Lee and I believed and what a lot of people believe. When you, when you think that way, that means there's not a single person who disagrees with you, who is educated, who loves God, and who is respectful. So that yeah. means all the smart people already agree with me. I presuppose that because none of the smart people disagree with me because... If they were smart, they would agree with me. None of the people who are open to truth agree with me because if they were, they would already agree. But since they disagree, they're the deceived. And and so you're able to go through and, and without even realizing it unintentionally, you come to the conclusion that there's nobody out in this world who is respectable, who is knowledgeable, who cares about God, who is open to truth, who knows what they're talking about, who disagrees with me. Because to admit that is to, to mean that I could be wrong. And when we, when we think that we're right, it's hard to be humble enough to believe that we could be wrong. And I think this plays a lot, Lee, into legalism. Because if we think that our salvation is dependent upon our rightness 
instead of our right instead of Jesus righteousness what's going to happen is we are going to feel like we have to double down and say yes we're right on everything because that's where our faith is our trust is in our ability to know that we have everything right so if we are willing to be humble enough to say look i i don't know there's a lot of smart people out in this world who are christians who see things differently and i might could be wrong that shakes me to the core if I'm trusting in my own ability to get everything right in order to go to heaven. But if I realize that's not what Christianity is about, it's about my relationship with Jesus and living a transformed life as I love God and love other people, then all of a sudden I don't really mind being wrong. It's like, yeah, you know what? I may be wrong on eschatology. And there's a lot of smart people out there who hold different views. I'm willing to listen to what different people have to say. But at the end of the day, that's really not where my identity lies. So a lot of people aren't willing to budge because that's where their identity is. And so it's easier for them to see everybody else who doesn't have the same identity, as you put it, either being deceived or, as I put it, being ignorant, or as we both put it, just not loving God. And so let's kind of, as we, as we well, go ahead. Did you have anything else to add to that? Oh, yeah. I was I was just going to say, man, that dude, that's spot on, because whenever your salvation is predicated upon having all the right answers, there's no room for error. There is no margin for error. And any other view is de facto error. But whenever your salvation doesn't rest in your view on eschatology, whenever your salvation doesn't rest in your perspective on hell and it, whether it's eternal conscious torment or annihilationalism, or, you know, if your salvation doesn't rest on any of those other concepts on the premillennium, the postmillennium, no millennium, new heaven, new earth, whatever, if your salvation doesn't rest in those things, but it rests in Jesus, it gives you room to grow. It gives you room to explore the boundaries of our faith that God has established. And, you know, whenever we try to make it all about what we already know to be true, we end up putting God in a box and we can't really grow beyond that. We can't really grow beyond the box that we place ourselves in because we put God there to begin with. But as we move forward, because we're getting ready to wrap this up, you know, that's how we shouldn't treat people and that's how we shouldn't view people. So how should we view people? That seems to be the best way to end. How should we handle people that we disagree with and how should we regard those with whom we have doctrinal disagreements with or even political or any other disagreement yeah. with? Well, when we go to the Bible, we see that there are a lot of answers given, as especially through the lenses of Jesus, how exactly we should view people who disagree with us. And and I've already made mention, of course, of Matthew 7, 12. We need to treat others the way we want to be treated. But Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 even says that one of the characteristics of love is believing the best in other people. So love, yeah. love believes all things. That doesn't mean love is ignorant, but it means that love is willing to give someone an opportunity. It believes all things. It believes the best in people. And when it's I the benefit of the doubt is yes. what it is. It doesn't yeah. mean love is gullible and it's just buying everything you feed it, but it believes the best of intentions in right. the minds of it, others. And this is, let's say someone has done something wrong in the past. I have a, a friend of mine and they were involved in some things they should not have done, some horrible things they should not have done in the past. And they'll tell you that. And because of the nature of what they did, a lot of people don't want to be around this particular person. And I still today hear people talk about this individual in certain groups 
uh, they'll make mention of about this person and they'll say, well, you know, he says he's changed, but I just don't buy it because I know too many people who they've tried to change, but they just weren't able to. And I don't think he's really changed. That's not believing the best unless there's reason to believe that an individual is not trying. And I have actually called out a person before in a very nice way in a conversation. Mm -hmm. I said, well, well, what reasons do you have to believe they haven't changed? And their response is, well, I just, I just know that I just, I just know I, I, it's just, it's just that personality. They just can't change. And I'm thinking, well, well, that's not really any reason, but I didn't really debate with them because I could tell they weren't interested in having a conversation. They just were going to state their view and move on. But we need to believe the best, as you said, give the benefit of the doubt. I want to talk about a story or at least allude to a story. Uh, there was a literal war that almost took place because of certain well-intended Jews, and I'm going to call them well-intended because I believe they were, who thought that they were defending the truth. And this is a story in Joshua chapter 22. What you have is that you had the, the sons of Reuben Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They came to the region of the Jordan and they built a large altar because before they entered the promised land, they were still fighting these wars and they asked Moses if they could stay where they're at after the wars are over. And the answer was yes, because they said, well, I don't, we don't want to go into Canaan. We already have our family settled here. Can we just come back here and live? And God said, you know, God said, yes. Moses said, yes, they could do that. So they did that. And so they were separated from the rest of their brethren. So they built their own altar. Well, when the other tribes heard about this, they got so upset that they didn't ask questions. They were ready to go to war because they saw that as an innovation. They saw that as something that was unauthorized. Here they were building this altar. Well, wait a minute. God didn't say that they were supposed to build this altar. What's happening here? Why are they doing this? What's going on? So they, the text says that they're ready to go to war against their own Israel brethren. And later, of course, and thankfully, we see that they ended up having a conversation where they explained to these other tribes that, they did not build this altar out of rebellion. They did not build this altar because they didn't love God. They did it as a witness between them and their children so that after they died, people would realize that they're part of that covenant, that they're still part of the relationship with God. Thankfully, a war didn't take place. But I wonder how many times are we just like those other tribes of Israel when we see our brethren, our own brethren, doing things, building an altar, that we don't see should have been built or we don't think should have been built or an altar that we don't see in the Bible. And we wonder why are they building this altar? And I'm speaking, of course, metaphorically. Metaphorically, here. yeah. When that happens, what do we do? Typically, we don't ask questions. We go after them. They're wrong. Let's start a battle. Let's go after them. Let's start a war. And so I love this illustration because it shows had they only gone and spoke to them first, they could have known their intentions. They could have known that they were not trying to worship false gods or they weren't trying to, to disobey God by, by setting up this other altar. But they were actually doing this to please God and to make sure that their people understood that they still had this relationship with God where they could, they could offer sacrifices to Him too. So I just love that illustration and that story. But one other story that I was going to bring up is, and we've talked about this before, but with Hezekiah in Second Chronicles chapter 30, these Jews came to worship and they had not been cleansed according to the law ceremonially. And they ended up partaking of the Passover contrary to the law. And instead of Hezekiah saying, you sinners who don't love God and you just are ignorant or you're deceived, he didn't say any of those things. Instead, he prayed to God that they would be accepted, that God would accept them despite their doctrinal error because of the hearts they have. And I wonder if we changed our perspective 
how that would change us. If we change our perspective on other people, if instead of viewing everybody who sees things differently as either being ignorant, deceived, or just God-hating fakers, how would that change me? If I started to believe the best, if I started to treat them the way that I would want to be treated, but furthermore, even if I still disagreed and believed that they were participating in sin, instead of condemning them and thinking they were horrible and saying, oh, you're going to get yours one day. Oh, I can't wait till God has his way with you. Instead of that saying, God, I believe that these individuals are doing what they think is best. And even though I don't agree with that, I pray that you forgive them in spite of that and that you will accept them anyway and that you will also be merciful to me, a sinner. What if that was my prayer? How would that change my view of other people? And the answer is drastically. It would really yes. help the it would help your conversations with other people because now they can be fruitful. Now you can believe that there are smart people that exist who do not agree with you, but who still love God. They're not deceived. They're not ignorant. They love God. They're knowledgeable. And they're just disagree. They disagree, but yet you can still have a conversation and come away believing that they still love God. Absolutely. And and to me, that's the biggest change within me is whenever I let go of that legalistic bent in relying on my knowledge and knowing I have all the right answers and I'm doing all the right things. And that's the source of my salvation. And I realized some of the things that I was wrong about. And I began to think as, as we've talked about on this before, and I did a whole episode on it, you know, I, I'm wrong about this. What else am I wrong about? And realizing, wow, I've been way off base on some of these things. And and that's the perennial question. That's the question that I keep wrestling with is the idea of God's grace is the way you've put it. Does God's grace or does God's mercy cover doctrinal error? And the only conclusion that I can come to on that is that it must because I'm not perfect. There's no way I can have a perfect crystal clear understanding of all things. So if his grace is going to cover me, and he's going to be merciful to me, and I believe that he is, I believe he will be, then doesn't it stand to reason that he's going to be merciful to other people who are pursuing him in his grace just as much and just as hard as I am? It seems to me that that's the case. Now, what that looks like, I don't really know, but I'm beginning to come to a better understanding. I'm beginning to be more at peace with the idea. I don't have to know. My faith is in Jesus. My goal is to emulate Jesus. He is the pattern that I'm following. And if I pattern my life after him, I'm going to treat people the way they ought to be treated. I'm going to have a heart of forgiveness towards others. I'm going to release that seed of bitterness. Even if I get crossways with someone like like Paul and, and Mark did and Barnabas, even if that happens and they had no small dissension amongst them, they still thought the best of each other. Paul still called Mark a brother. They still came together later and they reconciled because they had open dialogue. They didn't let those walls and that division that took place become a permanent festering wound within their relationship. They mended those fences. They still regarded each other as effective brothers in the job that they did in bringing the gospel to, to Asia Minor. And they still did the work. And sometimes whenever we disagree with people, that might be the case. You may have a falling out with people. It's going to happen. But do we view them as just mad heretics that are terrible? Because in our tradition, brother, we have a tendency to build up these walls of partition that never come down. And we tend to divide along different doctrinal lines, whether it's over institutionalism and non-institutionalism, whether it's over how the 
um, how the contribution is to be used, whether it's over the cup in whatever sense we have all of these divisions that have taken place. And then you, you spread that out over denominational lines and you have division, you know, you've got the 95 thesis with, with Martin Luther, you've got all of these other events that transpire in these divisions that take place. But then we, how do we view one another? How do we view our fellow man when those occur? And that right there will go a long way towards how effective we can be with others and how we regard others. And I think that's, that's exactly right. It's a beautiful thing whenever we can, whenever we can recognize that we are imperfect, but no one else, no one else is perfect. We're not perfect. No one else is either. And we're all doing the best we can to pursue Jesus and to be more like him. And that's ultimately the question. Are we trying to be more like Jesus? Is he the author and finisher of our faith? Or is our faith and our salvation bound up in all these other things? Yeah, well said. Well, okay. Well said, I guess I'm... man. <laughs> I don't I don't think I can I can top that. It's if you if you look at just the things that we've discussed going forward and and the next time that you discuss with someone whether it's on social media or Facebook and you use these different approaches and filters and tactics if you will that that Lee and I've discussed, I really think you're going to see a change not only in your own dialogue, but also in yourself, because you're going to see that you're no longer viewing everyone as these horrible people who just don't care about truth, but you're seeing them as equals, people who are equal to you, who are simply just trying to, to understand the truth just like you are. And believing that people are trying to just believe the truth like I am and trying to figure out what that means and trying to figure out how to apply it and listening listening to people and being able to hear their story, being able to hear what they have to say, you may not come away agreeing with them, but maybe you you have a new found appreciation for why they believe what they believe or why they did what they did. And it makes sense to you. It's more palatable at that point. You may not agree with it, but you don't have to walk away thinking that that person is the scum of the earth or that they don't really care about God. You can walk away saying, you know, I don't agree with that, but I can see why they would believe it. I talked about this last week on Hale when we were discussing that topic. A lot of my friends, I would say most of my friends, believe in eternal conscious torment. I don't think that they're dumb. I don't think that they hate God. I don't think that they're ignorant. I don't think they're deceived. I just think that because of the way in which they have studied it and some of the presuppositions they hold and some of the ways that they approach the Bible that I would disagree with as well, has led them down that that path to that conclusion. I understand it. I don't agree with it, but I understand it, and it doesn't separate us as brethren. We're still going to be ending up together in heaven, so it really doesn't matter. And that's why we have to make sure that even if it did matter, even more so, we need to make sure we're loving people, I think. I, I think that when we do disagree on something that we do think matters, that's why we need to be really kind and really open, because otherwise we're going to close those uh, those lines of communication off if we're not careful. Absolutely. It all comes down to loving our fellow man as Jesus loves them. And as we've been called to love them by God, it's, it's a non-negotiable prospect in the Christian life that we are to love our fellow man. We are to love our neighbor as ourself. And whenever we do that and we take that seriously and we understand that love 
is it believes all things, it becomes a little bit easier then. Well, do you have anything else you want to add before we wrap this up? I would just summarize it as love people the way that God loves people and love and treat people the way you want to be treated and believe the best in people. That's it, man. That's what it all boils down to. Well, brother, thank you. I think this was a really good conversation. We just kind of riffed on this one. We had no notes and it went really well once we got the technical issues. I thought you were going to say, and it it shows. (laughs) Oh, dude, come on. You got to give us more credit than that. We want to always, though, we never want to dismiss without thanking our ever-present audience. We thank all of you so much for listening. We please, please share this podcast far and wide. We have some really cool stuff in the works that we're going to be putting into motion soon. Um, Share our Facebook page with others like it and interact with us on that page. That page is not just for us to post things, post things on there too. You guys are a part of this community. We really want to build a community. We really want to build a safe space where we can discuss those things that weigh us down, where we can talk about those things without fear of being ridiculed or castigated or, or spat upon proverbially speaking, you know, so, so do that like our podcast or like our Facebook page rather, Um, share our podcast with others. Give us that five-star review, share it far and wide. We love all of you and we thank you so much for listening.